And this small letter, the letter of Jude, which is nestled right there, but just just before we get into the into into the book of Revelation, it's it a lot of people just skip on over that they read through it really quickly without realizing like every book in the Bible, there are so many gems inside it. And the book of Jude is a powerful book. It's it's a powerful letter. Uh, Jude was writing to the church and he was informing them of the dangers that were surrounding them. Now they knew of the dangers from outside, but there were also dangers from inside. There were evil and selfish men that had infiltrated the church and they were causing divisions and they were teaching falsehoods. They were teaching people to depart from the rightful teachings of Christ and his apostles. And of course, we find that today as well. There are people wishing to deviate from God's word. Well, if they deviate from God's word, what they're preaching is a deviant gospel. It's not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gospel of men. And Jude gives us these, these examples of these men, of what to be looking out for, the characteristics of these evil men. In Jude verse 16, Jude sets down three characteristics here. He tells us that they are grumblers. They're forever discontented with the life which God has allotted them. And in, in this picture, he uses two words, one which was very familiar to his Jewish readers and one which was very familiar to his Greek readers. And there is a good reason for that. And like a lot of scripture, it really pays to dig into the, dig into the Bible and sometimes to, to dig into the Greek, even though it might cause you a headache. And I know many people who started learning Greek and they just, they just gave up after a while. But it's worth sticking to because it reveals things which we don't readily pick up in our Western culture. And that can shine a light upon the gospel. It can shine a light upon these letters. And it can really help us in our own spiritual walk. Well, the first of the words that he's using here is called nagustais. And the word describes the discontented voices of murmurers. It's, it's, it's the same as is so often used in the Greek Old Testament for the murmurings of the children of Israel against Moses as he led them through the wilderness. If you remember in the book of Exodus and Numbers, they had seen the wondrous miracles that God had done in Egypt. They had seen this superpower of the age, the most powerful country on earth, the most civilized country on earth, being brought down to their knees. They were so proud. They were proud of their civilization. They were proud of their religion. And yet they were brought low. They were humbled by the God of the slaves. They had seen what their God had done. And yet still they were murmuring. Still it wasn't enough. Still, God, this isn't enough. You haven't done enough for us. Well, these wicked men at the time of Jude are the modern counterparts of the murmuring children of Israel in the desert. People full of sullen complaints, just, just arguing against, against the, the guiding hand of God. Their attitude is, well, I think I can think better than God thinks. I think that this is not exactly what God was willing was meaning, so I'm going to correct it. You know, there is a Bible which I actually possessed. It's it possessed. It's a um. It's right there on the shelf behind me. It's a study Bible, and it was produced by Jimmy Swaggart. And in Mark sixteen sixteen, 
where the Lord Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Um, he has written under it, not water baptism. Now the Bible makes it quite clear that baptism is, you must be baptized. It can only mean one thing in the Greek, it's baptism, and it means full bodily immersion, the cleansing away of sins. Now that's just an example, but there are a great many others out there who are not satisfied with what the Bible is saying. So they decide that they're going to correct God's mistake. Isn't that nice of them? Um, God doesn't need correction. God doesn't make mistakes. If there's an error, it's our error. It's not God's error. And there are a great many people then, as today, think that they know better than God. Well, the second Greek word here is mak mem fissomerios. Near enough. <laughs> it's made up of two Greek words, which is memphastai, which means to blame, and moria, which means one allotted fate or life. A memsimorios, got it right, memsimorios was a man who was forever grumbling about life in general. There was a Greek philosopher called Theophrastius. Sometimes they just shorten it and they just call them Bob because it's easier to say, to remember. Well, he was the great master of Greek character sketches. He, would, he, would, he was a master of the Greek way of thinking. And he, was, he liked to mock people. And he liked to mock people like this. And it's worth quoting in full what he's talking about, these, these querulous men. He would describe them as unique in their loving to complain about one's lot said, this kind of man will say to him what brings him a portion from his friend's table. You begrudged me your soup or your collops or you, you have asked me to dine with you in, in person. And you, I have gone out of my way to do this. He's co constantly complaining about something good that has been done for him. When his wife is kissing him, he says, I wonder whether you kissed me so warmly from your heart meaning that he doesn't really believe she loves her, constantly finding a cloud in the silver lining. This kind of a person, what we would call a nitpicker, would drive people absolutely crazy. He would tell, he would, people would say to him, they'd tell him, you can share up now. And he'd say, what, when, when I must repay each man his share? And I must be beholden to him unto the bargain. This is the kind of man who, when he finds out, that the writer says, when he finds out that his wife has given birth to a son, all he can say is, well, great, there goes half my fortune. There's no joy in this person. And here, vividly drawn by, by Theophrastius' subtle pen, is the picture of man who can find something to grumble about in any situation. He can find some fault in the best of bargains, in the kindest of deeds, and the most complete of successes, and in the richest, uh, and, and the, the richest of good fortune. He will do anything he possibly can, because he is not content about anything. Everybody is, is, is lying to him. Everybody is trying to get one over on him. And when we read the Bible, we go right back to Genesis chapter 3. What do we find the serpent saying to Eve? He's telling Eve to eat of the fruit because God's keeping something from you, obviously. God is deceiving you. Eat this and you can be like him. There's that constant grumbling, you know, that this isn't good enough. They had 
everything that we long for in heaven. Paradise. To be with God. I have to worry about anything, not have to worry about death or disease. To live in a beautiful place of comfort. They had it all. And it was all lost. Why? Because they were not content. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 6, what does Paul tell us about it? Paul says there is great gain in godliness with contentment. But the evil men are chronically discontented with life and with the place in life that God has given them. It's not enough for them. There are few people more unpopular than chronic grumblers and all, all such might do well to remember that such grumbling is in its own way an insult to God. They're not happy with what God has given them. God made a mistake. God made a mistake when he gave me my nose. I want to have a different kind of nose. Now, I'm not knocking plastic surgeons that are helping people that, that really need um, surgery to, to help them if they've been in accidents. God bless them, they do a wonderful job. But there are people that go to plastic surgeons and they're not happy with the way God made them, so they want to have their ears changed. They want to have their eyes, the shape of their eyes changed. They want to look like Brad Pitt. Or they want to look like Michael Jackson. You wouldn't believe it. Why? I don't know. But there are people out there like that. And they keep getting all these, all, all these operations. And if you remember Michael Jackson, the singer, he changed so much because he wasn't content with the way God made him. Before he had any of this plastic surgery done on him, he was a fine-looking guy. He could have had any woman he wanted. But he wasn't happy with the way he looked. And he ended up having horrendous problems because of it. And remember, God always looks to the inside of a person, not the out. That's where true beauty is. And what we regard as beautiful in the way we look, or in how tall we are, or short we are, or big we are, or thin we are, depends purely on culture. It's a purely cultural thing. And God looks to the inner person. If you remember when the prophet Samuel was looking for God's successor to Saul, he went down uh, Jesse's sons from, the, from what he thought was the strongest down to the weakest and his sons were standing there and none of them were chosen by God. And he was sure that the strong, tall guy would have been, but who was chosen? The run to the litter, David. He wasn't even there, but he was the one who got chosen. You see, God can use anyone. Look how mightily he used David. We have to be willing to be used by God and to be content to be used by God whoever he wants us to, however he wants to use us. We look at some of the wonderful examples in the Bible. If you look at Rahab, she helped the Israelite spies. And because she did that, her and her house were spared. She's actually in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what role we're playing. If we're playing a role for God, then that's a wonderful thing. But these men weren't happy. They weren't content. Some of them weren't content with being one of the elders. They had to be the elder. They had to be the supreme elder and then they had to be the elder over the local congregations living next to them and the next one and the one after them. 
And before you know, you know it, you had bishops and archbishops and people ruling over entire regions. That was never the plan that God gave us within the scriptures. Now Jude tells us, he gives us a point about these wicked men. And it's a point that he's made again and again. That their conduct is governed by their desires. To them, self-discipline and self-control are nothing. They don't have it. To them, the moral law is only a burden and a nuisance. Honour and duty have no claim on them, and they have no desire to serve and no sense of responsibility towards God. Their one value is pleasure, and their one dynamic is desire. And if all men were like that, the world would be in complete chaos. And these men brought chaos into the church. And then, number three, they spoke with pride and with arrogance. Yet at the same time, they were ready to pander to the great. Notice that. If they think that they can get anything out of it, they will pander away to the great. Yet full of this pride and this arrogance. It is perfectly possible for a man at, at once, at, a, at one and the same time, to be a bombastic creature towards the people he wishes to impress and a flattering, what we would call a lickspittle. That... Uh, that, that is they're sucking up to these people who he thinks are important because they want to get ahead. And it's got nothing to do with glorifying God. It's nothing to do with the edification of the church. It's all about self and not about God. When you think about the arrogance it must take for somebody to, to start a church group and then name it after themselves instead of after God, why would they put themselves above God? Even Martin Luther, the, the reformer in the 16th century, told his followers, and he didn't hold back. He just said it like it was. He said to them, he said to them don't call yourselves after me, you fools. Don't call yourselves after me. I didn't die on the cross for your sins. Call yourselves Christians after Christ. Who are you following? You're supposed to follow Christ. Of course, they didn't listen to him, and they didn't listen to Christ. They just went off and formed their own club with a form of religion, and that gets right back to those people who are full of arrogance, and it's all about themselves and not about God. Because if it's really about God, if you really love the Lord, then you'll do what he says, and you will want to do what he says. It will be a heart's desire to do what he says. There's no argument. You're not going to sit down around the table and, and say, okay, what are we going to accept? What teachings are we going to accept in the Bible? Well, we might have more members if we didn't preach about hell. And we might have more members if we said it was okay for people of the same gender to get married. And we might have more members if it was this or if it was that or if we had a bar downstairs, which some churches do. But would it be pleasing to the one you claim to serve and love? Not at all. And the Lord Jesus doesn't give us suggestions. These are commands. And what Jesus says is binding. So why do we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman? Because Jesus said so. From the beginning it was thus. Jesus said it. Why do we believe that hell exists and not just an annihilation? Or some other crazy ideas which you wouldn't believe but they're out there and they are out there. 
Well, we believe hell exists. Not because we want there to be a hell and not because we're happy when people go there. We believe hell exists because Jesus told us about it. And he doesn't want anyone to go there either. So how can you call yourself a Christian, no matter what name is upon that church, if you don't believe what Jesus says? Quite simply, you cannot. Jude's opponents are glorifiers of themselves. And the opponents of the Lord's church are glorifiers of themselves, flatterers of others, uh, whenever the occasion demands. And their descendants, spiritually speaking, are still among us. They're full of these errors. They, they pride themselves in it. And Jude goes on to talk about the characteristics of error. In verse 17 to 19, he says, But you, beloved, you must remember the words which were once spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You must remember that they said to us, In the last time there will be mockers, whose conduct is governed by their own impious desires. These are the people who set up divisions, fleshly creatures. They're without the Spirit. They're without the Word of God. Jude points out to his own people that nothing has happened which they may not have expected. And notice he said these last days. There's much in the news and people are saying, oh, these are the end times. Brethren, it's been the end times for a long time. As Christians, we know we have nothing to fear. We know that the Lord is going to return someday. But we do not know the day nor the hour. And it is a fool that would seek to suggest such a thing, as many, many have. They've said it, it's happening. In fact, the day before I came to the United States, I, won't for, I never forget the date, because I got here on May 26, 2011. I got off the plane, and as we were heading out of the airport, there was a huge sign-up saying, are you, re- are you rapture ready? Are you ready for the rapture? Which is a fictional thing, it's not in the Bible at all. And I said, May 25th, the rapture's going to happen. It was May 26th. The rapture hadn't happened, and if it did, I was late and nobody got took. <laughs> except, except for their paychecks. Many people got took for their paychecks. They were raptured from their bank accounts, and they weren't given back. And then he turned around and gave another date. Well, this is the kind of thing these arrogant people, these people who are out for themselves, will do. They use religion to deceive. And Jude is pointing out that we need to be on the watch for them, that they're out there. And for those of us in the Lord's Church, those of us who know the Bible, we look at these fakers and we know, but there are so many who do not. There are so many who look at them and they think, look at them. They must be good men. They must be godly men. And look how God's blessed them. $5,000 suits, when they smile, they nearly blind me. Wow, and they're getting these, these special messages from God all the time. And their Bibles are agreeing with what they're saying. And all I have to do is to send them a, a love gift, a seed of $800, and they'll send me a free rock. I'll have my own free prayer rock that I can hold and I can look at. And, and I, can touch, I can touch on parts of my body that might have cancers or, or thetans or some kind of an alien flowing about me. And this one church teaches that. They actually do. And it's ludicrous, and it's sad. But the really sad thing is that people are being taken in by that. 
and where to watch out for that and where to oppose it. Now the apostles had given warning that in the last times which have been to then, right now, just such evil men as are now among them would come. The actual words of Jude's quotation are not found in any New Testament book. He may be doing any one of, of three things. He may be quoting some apostolic book which we no longer possess. There were some books, some letters which were not included in the Bible and God has his own reasons for it. I mean, we know that Paul sent a few of their letters to the Corinthians, but they weren't needed for us. What we know is that the books which are in the Bible and what they, what they tell us are there for our learning and instruction. And that's what we need to, to, to look upon. But he was quoting something. He, he may have been quoting not a book, but perhaps some tradition of apostolic preaching. And at this early time, he would have heard it himself or some sermon which he himself had heard from the apostles, from whatever the case may be. He is giving the general sense of a passage like First Timothy 4, verses 1 to 3, telling us to watch out about these deceiving people, these false teachers, these, these ticklers of the years. And isn't that exactly what these false teachers are doing today? They're tickling people's ears. They're giving them what they want to hear. They're being told that the Bible is, it's all about you. It's all about you. And it's all about you getting rich. And you're going to get rich if you send me your money. And God's going to bless you. And still they're being taken. They're using religion to deceive. In any event, he is telling his people that error was only to be expected in the church. We should expect it. We should expect it to be attacked from outside. And from this passage, we can see certain of the characteristics of these evil men. You see, they mock goodness and their conduct is governed by their own evil desires. How many of these false prophets, these teachers have been cut out? Do as I say, not as I do. They've been cut out having affairs. They've been cut out embezzling. Oh, the money was only resting in my account in Sweden or Switzerland. And I need these fleet of airplanes i need three jets so i can preach the gospel and i can I, I can fly to utah and i can fly to iowa and i can fly around the world so i can preach the gospel brethren i use a phone and facebook and i'm reaching people i don't need an airplane these men are self-indulgent if they do have an airplane how come they're they're so expensive i don't know if you've ever been on one of these private jets i was some years ago when we visited graceland and man, they were beautiful. They were something else. They did their own version of, of Air Force One. Now, do you remember when Jesus went around in his Cadillac? No. Not at all. The most glorious thing that he rode was a donkey. Not even a horse, not even a chariot all painted up. And he walked around the place. If he was lucky, he would have had wooden shoes or perhaps leather shoes. Most of the time he probably just walked on his bare feet. And he got the message out too. And it was the right message. So these people, Judas telling us, they're, they're mocking goodness. And their conduct is governed by, by what they wish, what they desire. And the two things go together, if you ever notice that. Now these opponents of Jude had these two characteristics. They believed the body being matter was evil. And that therefore it made no difference if a man sated his desires. 
Furthermore, they argued that since grace could forgive any sin, sin didn't matter, so do what you like. These heretics had a third characteristic. They believed that they were the advanced thinkers. They believed that they were the, 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 the smartest people on the planet with the special divine revelations. They could do God's thinking for them. They could improve upon what God had, had told people. They believed that they were the special chosen and they regarded those who observed the old moral standards as old-fashioned and out of date. That point of view is by no means dead. There are still those who believe that the once accepted standards of morality and fidelity, especially in the matters of, of intimate relations, are quite out of date. There's a terrible text in the Old Testament, in Psalms 53 verse 1. It was terrible for those who disobey God. And it says, The fool saith in his heart there is no God. In that text, fool does not mean the brainless man. It means the man who is playing the fool. And the fact that he says there is no God is entirely due to wishful thinking. Because you see, what happens if we get rid of God? If God doesn't exist, who becomes the highest being in the universe? We do. Men do. Now, brethren, if that doesn't make you want to cry, I don't know what will. But that's what they think. The Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin said there is but one God and his name is Joseph Stalin. Well, Stalin's dead and he's found out since that he is wrong. Those who say there is no God are just indulging in wishful thinking because it allows them and their minds to do whatever they will. Just the same as those who claim to speak on behalf of God and to have God say, yeah, do whatever you want to do. Remember, the supreme commandment of Satanism is do as thou wilt. There's nothing new about it. It's the same commandment as the New Age movement, do as thou wilt. Where else have we heard it? Communism, humanism, socialism, do as thou wilt. And where else have we heard it? Political correctness. Do as thou wilt. We tolerate everything. Anybody, do whatever you want, except if you're a Christian and you believe in the Bible, especially those Bibles which are faithful, you know, the ones that they would like to see destroyed or burned, along with their members. Now, those who believe there is no God, they know that if there is a God, that they are wrong and they can look for judgment. And they'll find judgment in the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is as a sharp two-edged sword. Cutting even asunder to the heart of men. It convicts them. And their attitude is I'm not letting a 3,000 year old book tell me what I can and cannot do. So they turn to their own ways. And they make it up as they go along. They make excuses for other religions. And yet for Christianity, they will make up fables and say, oh, you Christians, you believe in this and you believe it's okay to slaughter people. No, we do not. That's not in the Bible. It's nowhere there in the New Testament. The fact is that those that say there is no God are living a life full of fear 
George Bernard Shaw once said there is nothing worse than an atheist that has lost his faith. And that the problem with atheism is not that you believe in nothing, it's that you're afraid of, of everything. So they don't want to look for the judgment of God's word, so they eliminate him. In the last analysis, those who eliminate the moral law and give free rein to their own passions and their desires do so because they want to do as they like. They listen to themselves instead of listening to God. And they forget that there will come a day when they will be compelled to listen to him. The fact is, something that is living cannot come from something that is dead. The fact is, is that there is design in the universe. And trying to ignore the design or to claim that it's that aliens created us in a, in, in a desperate attempt to say that God didn't create us does not get rid of the fact that, there, that there's a God. Albert Einstein is one of the most cleverest people that has ever lived. Absolute genius. Some people have said that he was an atheist, but this is not so. In fact, he is what's called a theist. He believed that there is indeed a God. Unfortunately, he did not believe in the God of the Bible. But he has a very interesting quote. God is not a magician. God is a scientist. You see, the God of the Bible knew what he was doing when he made the human race. And he gave us freedom of will. We're not robots. We can choose to love him and obey him. We can choose to be good to our fellow human beings. Or we can choose to deny him. But that does not make him go away. It does not make the fact that there is inbuilt in human beings a sense of right and wrong. Although many have burned that sense of right and wrong out of them. They let their consciences grow cold. There is right and there is wrong. And even those who indulge in sinful things will say, Oh, this is too far. That this has gone too far. And you might notice in these last many years they've been pushing the boundaries of morality. Pushing and pushing. Pushing to the point where there are those who are demanding the legalization of pedophilia. With pedophile pride parades in Denmark and Canada. It's very sad. But this is what happens when you deny the existence of God. Quite crazily, from my perspective, is when you see people outside the Israeli embassy in Dublin, my home city, and half the crowd are made up of extreme liberals demanding the right to marry banana trees and dogs and cats and all that kind of thing. And on the other half, you have extreme Islamic fundamentalists who under any other occasion would be murdering the other half of the people. And all that they can agree upon is, is that the moral law of God or what the Bible says is wrong. Let's attack it. Let's try and pull it down. In a way, it's encouraging as Christians to see the attacks upon God's word because it tells us of the truth of it, of the power of it, and just how much it scares the forces of darkness. And it also informs us how much those people need our prayers and how much they need God as well. 
Understanding the characteristics of error is vital for our growth as Christians. And understanding the characteristics of goodness which we find in God's word brings us comfort in the fight. Jude's letter is highly instructional. It was written to the church 2,000 years ago, but every time I read it, I could swear he's writing it to me personally or to us this day. Thank you for your attention.